your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! Purdue week is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. Choo-choo! Bitches. Year two of the Jeff Brom era has actually got people pretty excited in West Lafayette. Uh, their their fans did not, in fact, forget about football. They just really, really didn't want to come out for Daryl Hazel. Yeah, and you know, most exciting aspect of Jeff Brom still being around is that he's still around because the coaching carousel spun in overdrive this offseason. You had new coaches at Texas A&M, Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, Florida State. None of those places were able to even get apparently serious interest from Brom, so he may be in for longer than we thought. He may not view this as a stepping stone job, and that's got to be the best news of all for Purdue fans. Did you mention Tennessee in there because... No, no, I was only mentioning good jokes. <laughs> because if you recall, there was that one crazy... Uh, what, was that a Friday when like they were pretty sure that Brom to Tennessee was happening? Well, we found out recently that that was... Absolutely never going to happen. Well, and then there was that time when some steakhouse in Chattanooga or wherever said, "Oh, hey man, Peyton Manning's here right now. He's talking to he's talking to John Gruden, y'all. It's happening. Gruden to the balls. Gruden tears, man. We're gonna. It's gonna. And it just completely made up. None of that was ever real. If Brom had any contact with Tennessee, all he was doing was paraphrasing uh, Greg Sestero's character in the classic masterpiece of American cinema, The Room. When he went by saying, Where are you, going you don't this? have me. You'll never have me. <laughs> I was wondering where in the world you could be going with this. Uh, yeah, because I mean, in that scenario, Tennessee's inept coaching search is definitely just Johnny. Oh, hi, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was, no, no, they were, they were Lisa in that situation where Butch Jones was the, uh, was, was Johnny having just blown his brains out all over Nayland Stadium. Oh, my God. Goodness, we are we are just ass deep in this metaphor right now, aren't we? All right, well, there's there's no easy way out of this. So, well, if we're at wait, ass deep or navel deep? I really hope that most of our readers have uh, most of our readers are listening and have also seen the movie that we are referencing. Y'all, if we seem a little distracted, it's because there is an active dog battle going on under the table that we're podcasting on. So, you know, bear with us a little bit. So anyway, Purdue, um, <laughs> uh, in spite of, <laughs> in, spite right. of, in spite of having a pretty good quarterback situation, there's actually more uncertainty there than you would guess because both of their guys uh, who both played extensively both last year and before uh, are coming off of injuries. So in the spring game, neither of them played, that being um, David Blau and um, Elijah Sindelar. Blau, well, Blau, I thought, played in spring practices. I just didn't think that he was in the spring game. You could be right about that. Um, I think, I think because his... Blau is certainly much farther along in his recovery. Does um, he, what, did he have a, a, a shoulder injury? I think they both had leg injuries, but Blau oh. was earlier in the season, and Sindelar, I no, think, he was, had a, no, Blau had a broken played, leg. Yeah, Sindelar blue. played in the bowl game and blew an ACL. Either, yeah. He either blew it in the game or did it before and played through it somehow. My but, initial research yeah. uh, led me that to believe that David Blau, at the very least, uh, threw a bunch of passes in spring ball and looked by far the sharpest of the quarterbacks that they had. Of course, uh, quarterbacks that they brought in include... Nate Sipe, uh, yes, a relative of former NFL MVP Brian Sipe, and Jack Plummer, not related to Jake Plummer in any way, shape, or form. Ah. <laughs> so, 
I you know, we were going to have an excuse to talk about Jake Plummer. Yeah. Basically, though, we'll start to doubt that claim by him if he happens to retire in the middle of the season to go play professional handball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the case of Purdue, like, professional Rubik's Cubing or some shit. <laughs> professional League of Legends. Uh, yeah, apparently, uh, did Purdue win or No, win? no, yeah, Maryland no. beat Illinois, and I'm surprised Purdue didn't even make the finals. You would expect, right? Um, in any case, so there's there's the quarterback situation still unsettled, um, but it's in this case it's kind of a good problem to have. Most of the time, people say if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Well, no, because in college where you've got quarterbacks running around and getting hurt all the time, um, and you have guys with injury histories, having two quarterbacks means you have a spare quarterback. So if neither of them transfer, you're really in a pretty good position. Now, obviously. It's possible that at some point something could give, but Blau is in his last year of eligibility. Sindelar is going to be a junior. Um, it's not like either of them are going to have much better options at this point. And it's not really, you know, it's not really known entirely if Sindelar is even going to be ready to go at the beginning of the season because ACL. I mean, that's you're talking about a nine month timeline there. That's, that's it used to be. I mean, it's it's we've seen such dramatic acceleration of that that it's kind of a case by case basis now. I mean. It's not to say that everyone's going to be quite the freak physical specimen the guy like Adrian Peterson is, but you've seen guys get that injury in spring ball and be ready, not necessarily for the beginning of the season, but during the season, seeing them come back, which used to be unheard of. Um, yeah, but the point is that, that that could, you know, you never know there's complications. I mean, that's just one of those ones that it, it could very well be he's ready to go to the beginning of the season. But even if so, I mean, getting to the beginning of training camp, being ready for that is an aggressive timeline. So I, I would expect Blau yeah. to at least start the season opener just for that reason that he's taken a lot more reps. And if he's looking better anyway, then that's not a bad situation to be in. So looking and, at you know that adage with the two quarterbacks, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. That can still be true in college football, but for Purdue last year, it did not seem to be that way. Yeah, it's not like Urban Meyer ever won a national championship with two quarterbacks playing in a functional system, right? That's impossible. <laughs> that's never happened. So, looking at what they have on offense around him, um, the line was riddled with injuries last year, so they had a lot of guys play, and they have most of those guys back. Kirk Barron should be solid in the middle as the anchor of it. Um, they have a couple other decent guys. Grant Hermans stands out, for example. Uh, the offensive line should be pretty good. Probably nothing outstanding, but pretty good. Um, same thing with the running backs. They had multiple guys who were showed they were capable last year. But none of them really stood out. And I think some of that might have been coaching philosophy because you would see guys not get run in certain games. Um, but they have good experience there. Um, well, there's no feature back, but I think Markel Jones, to me, is the number one guy. The guy that, at uh, the very least, whose impact I most remember. Um, I'm sure you do. Oh, I don't even, I don't think I even watched that game. That's, that's the name that comes to mind the most. Um, that, uh, of course, they lost that uh, Mahungu. At wide receiver. Yeah, at wide receiver, they're going to be looking for new playmakers. Um, the, only, the only guy they've got back, stop me if you've heard this before, is a guy named Anthrop going to Purdue. And he's a short white guy who's a lot better than you would think he is just by looking at him. But they've got they've got an Anthrop. And then otherwise, other than that, out wide, it's there's not a whole lot that's proven. Now, fortunately, like we said, they're, they're deeper running back. They've got a great combo of tight ends with Herdman and Hopkins. Probably the best two guy combination of tight ends in the in the Big Ten. I'd maybe give them a bit of an edge over Iowa's pair. Um, but yeah, outside there's going to be an opportunity for young players to make an impact. We'll get into that a little bit deeper when we talk about the recruits. But um, yeah, obviously quarterback is going to be the straw that stirs the drink here. And you would expect with Brahm's history there that if Blau is going to be the guy, you can probably expect big things from him in his senior year. 
Yeah, and of course, this is a this is a situation where the offense, by all means, should develop. Uh, you know, more with players getting their second year in the system. They've had a whole year to to learn whatever it is that Brom is uh, cooking up there. So it's going to expect even without a whole lot of an infusion of talent, you would expect things to be going a little smoother. And yeah, the thing is. Purdue's offense, really, from at least from a points perspective, was not all that prolific last year. Um, we know that Brahms got the reputation as being a great offensive mind, but you look at some of the uh, point totals that they're putting up here, 10 points against Michigan, 9 against Wisconsin, 12 against Rutgers, um, 13 against Northwestern, and then a few, several other games in the 20s. It was re- there were really only a couple of occasions where you saw what this offense is going to look like once it gets up to full capacity. And Well, they ran the ball a lot more than I expected them to, and they, act- they, they did reasonably well at doing so and controlling the clock. Uh, which, again, just from what he did at Western Kentucky, not what I expected to see, but probably what was working best with the combination of experience and personnel that he had. Well, yeah, and as a new coach, you have to walk the line there between immediate... Undiv- you know, undivided devotion to your system and doing what you have to to win with what you've got on hand because if you don't generate some wins, you're going to be Daryl Hazel. You might end up building a decent foundation, but you're not going to have enough currency to stick around. It's going to be the next guy who gets to take your seasoned, well-developed players and do something with them. Isn't that right, Archie? That's right. Yes. But that could be a very big problem if your 2015 class falls apart defensively which is what we've seen happen, which is why the defense is going to take a big step back because they graduate an awful lot of contributors and don't really have a lot of experience to step up to replace them. Yeah, for whatever reason, I hadn't noticed this as much as I did with a team like Indiana where for some reason the losses that they are going to sustain in defense seemed a lot more obvious. I didn't realize that Purdue was losing exactly what they are. It's not that they're losing a whole... They're losing, they're losing a lot, let's be clear. Yeah. But are. it's not so much in what they're losing as that... They also don't have much to replace it with as far as experience depth is concerned. Right. So the defensive line, you you basically got a couple of guys, at least one person at each level that you can build around. On the the line, Lorenzo Neal is a pretty good piece, but you lose Jalen Robinson, you lose Eddie Wilson, um, who mystifyingly went pro early and I believe was undrafted. So the line is going to need <clears throat> some reinforcements. At linebacker, you lose Jawan Bentley, who was one of my favorite players uh, the last couple of years from around the conference. Um, watching him play was always really enjoyable, even though, unfortunately, he was injured a good deal. Um, they also lose Easy Chukwu, but fortunately, again, at that level, they have Marcus Bailey, who could be an all-conference-type guy. Um, the defensive backfield was a bit of an adventure at times last year. They not only lose both starting corners, but also their top backup. Um, the good news is they have both safeties back, so they're going to need to find some new bodies on the outside. They're probably going to be susceptible to the pass because not only will they have new corners, but with the losses on the line, it's probably not reasonable to expect much in the way of a pass rush on this year. So the offense is really going to need to pick up the slack this year because a step backwards on defense is probably what we're going to be looking at. Now, Marcus Bailey is a guy that you're going to hear a lot about because he's going to rack up tackles very prolifically. Unfortunately, what that means is that he's probably going to very often be the only guy that can get there. Um, so You want your linebacker to be doing that anyway. I mean, if he was a safety, that would be a little bit more of a problem. That's what used to happen with Purdue when they didn't have any <laughs> linebackers. And they're like, 
Well, let's just uh, take this spare quarterback. Let's make him tackle everybody. That'll work. Uh, and, you know, there was a reason why for a while they were, they were wearing uniforms with the train tracks that just went right up the center of the helmet because basically you could just <laughs> run right over him. Um, so those days seem to be over at least. Whatever crap you want to give Daryl Hazel, he did find some players who were able to um, strengthen them a little bit. He just did a remarkably small amount with those players. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's it gets back to what we were saying earlier. It, look, it, it's fine to have a vision and to be willing to take your time developing your vision, but you got to have some baseline level of success, or people are just gonna people are not going to see the little shoots of hope, you know, sprouting through the asphalt of despair that lies over your program. If you don't win any games, you got to win something to give your fans reason to believe in what you're doing. By the time 2015 happened, I mean 2015 was one of the they beat. A hapless Nebraska team in 2015, and that was seen as just, okay, just just maybe that was the last time that it was seen as okay, just maybe this can turn the corner. Then they turn around and got blown the f out by Illinois, and that was the moment that the fans just realized, all right, this is never happening, and just deserted in droves. And it's hard to recover from that. Yeah, and they the fans weren't wrong in that case. In some instances. Maybe things like that cause people to give up a little too early. You got to realize kind of where you are from a roster standpoint. With but Hazel coach. did in 2013, <clears throat> kind of what Lovey Smith did in 2016, which is to say, "Hey, all you guys, ex- <laughs> yeah, there get was, the hell out of here." <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he took you know some some decent uh, experienced talent and just said, "All right, we're going to do the future now." They went one and eleven, and then. Never developed. Yeah, and so by the time his players were any good, he wasn't around anymore to benefit from it. I mean, we've seen that before. Um, Brady Hoke, to an extent, had that. Um, so it's not... Rodriguez <laughs> before him. Yeah, well, <laughs> to a lesser extent. They definitely... But yes, a little bit of that uh, phenomenon happened there as well. So speaking of recruiting, when we look at this recruiting class, it's kind of an interesting one for Purdue in that you see... Uh, uh, Jeff Brom obviously maintains his connections in Kentucky because they have more players from Kentucky than they do from Indiana. Five guys um, out of Kentucky, which I've never really thought of as an especially, you know, especially deep talent hotbed. Um, But the one guy who you see as, you know, a pretty likely immediate contributor would be Rondale Moore, uh, four-star wide receiver. Out of uh, what does Kentucky call itself? The, blue, the Bluegrass State, the, the Derby Bluegrass State, State, the, the Matt yep. State, the, the uh, top-ranked player in that state. In fact, a a, a rather short, uh, real quick wide receiver. So he's going to have a chance to play immediately. As we mentioned earlier, they have a need for help on the outside. Looking at the schedule, what do you see here for Purdue? Well, they have an August game against Northwestern, which yeah, I mean, opening the opening the schedule no less with. Uh, conference game on Thursday night. I mean, I thought we were supposed to be Big Ten. We don't we don't play against our conference opponents in the month of August. I mean, we not, we hardly ever see September Big Ten games, and yet here we are acting like we're the SEC or something. This this feels like she. This feels like we're spitting in the face of tradition. It feels like somebody has desecrated the grave of name your coaches your school's favorite coach um, by scheduling. A conference game in August. I mean, well, this it's is because thing unheard of. You know, the SEC did this a few years ago. It's changed, and I hate it. I can't remember what the matchup was, but of course, I couldn't see it because it was only on SEC Network. Now, having the most successful conference network, we decided let's follow their example. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> 
So, moving on from that, uh, Northwestern versus Purdue. I mean, Northwestern should win that game. They're the better yeah. team. Even though it's at Purdue, um, and <laughs> every year, everyone looks at Northwestern and says, well, that's a game we should win. Notwithstanding the fact that Northwestern's actually better than most of the teams in this conference. Uh, Northwestern is a team that, make no mistake, can be beaten. It's just that sure. you have to match up well, you have to game plan well, you can't make mistakes. Um, and they're well, very, it, very good and it helps, at not doing those things. It helps to play them early in the season because we have seen a trend long enough now that maybe there's something to it more than a series of coincidences. We have seen a trend where Northwestern is not as good at the beginning of the year as they are towards the end. So if you got to play Northwestern, that's certainly when you want to do it. That was a pretty decent Northwestern team that lost to Illinois State. I'll never understand that one. Yeah, so again, this this early season thing with Northwestern, there may actually be something to that for whatever reason. Well, then next after that, they got Eastern Michigan, which, uh, oh boy, that's a game that you better win uh, lest you be Rutgers. Yeah, and notwithstanding their trip to a bowl game a couple years ago, Eastern is still terrible, guys. I mean, there's there's active talks underway to collapse the athletic program altogether because of funding issues, but part of the reason they have those funding issues is because They've been so historically pathetic for so long that nobody shows up to their games, um, and they have no fan interest at all. So, Eastern, do not lose to this team. Do not lose to Eastern Michigan. I'm sure that the gray field helps bring people to the land of the big brick dick uh, that is Ypsilanti. That is, of course, the calling card, architecturally speaking, of the city. Yeah, Ypsilanti, the East Berlin of Ann Arbor. So... It, don't lose that game. Don't lose it. And then you got because uh, after that, two Power Five opponents. Well, in theory. Well, yes, Missouri. but again, an SEC team in Missouri, an ACC team in Boston College, not great SEC or ACC teams. You know, it's not like you're playing Alabama and then Clemson, uh, and they are both at home. But still, kind of unusual for a non-conference game to be your homecoming, um, which is the case of Boston College. And you know, again, these are teams that. They're not great, but they're going to have enough players that they can give you some problems. Drew Locke returning to Missouri is going to get a lot of pub next year as one of the top NFL prospects, possibly as a Heisman candidate. He's capable of putting up some bonkers numbers. That Mizzou team was not very good around him. Uh, and I remember seeing them in a shootout with Missouri State of FCS early in the season last year that they eventually pulled away, and I think they won that game. But still, they gave up something like 50 points to Missouri State. Um yeah, not a great team, but again, you want to win these games because looking down the schedule after that, you got some tough crossovers here, all right? You've got Ohio State at home. Kind of want to forget about that. I mean, there's always the possibility of a Purdue Harbor, but unlikely. You have to go to Michigan State, and then you end the season with a road trip to the bucket, which, whatever you think of Indiana, the last few years, that game at least has been very competitive. That'll um, be interesting because both of those teams lost their entire core on defense. Yeah, so, I mean, it might start looking like one of the old bucket games of, like, seven to ten years ago, where it's just complete chaos. The only decent athletes on the field are at the skill position, so it's just long touchdown after long touchdown after drive after drive after touchdown after touchdown, so... <laughs> also, on their schedule is Jeff Brom's first trip to Champaign, where Daryl Hazel never lost in two attempts. So look, if Jeff Brom loses at Illinois, you should probably just fire him because even Hazel was able to go undefeated there. Well, James Franklin was 0-1 against Tim Beckman, and is that's his record lifetime now. So never forget. My point is that uh, Illinois is a statistical aberration. So um, <laughs> as, as, that's kind of always your point, though, isn't it? In, yep. one, in one way or another. So so the schedule is is not 
forgiving. They've got a decently placed by, um, but they'll have the trip to Nebraska to open the conference season. As we mentioned, road games also at Illinois, at Michigan State, yeah, at Minnesota. Minnesota, and at Indiana. So um, they don't have any easy conference games at home. Yeah, no. The home the home games problematically are going to be more difficult when you get into the conference, including Northwest. Northwestern at home is probably your easiest conference yeah, game. Iowa, I think, is probably yeah, Iowa or Northwestern. Take It'll your be pick, close. really. It'll be close. I mean, early season Northwestern versus. Iowa, it's probably going to be pretty close. Um, so you probably look, you should be around bowl eligibility here with this schedule, though. I mean, Eastern is unfortunately probably the only team you can say is for sure a win. You you would probably put Illinois in that column as well, but I'm, I'm not so sure. But again, it, it just depends on what it looks like when it starts because sure, it could well be know, that Illinois has basically find a pulse on offense and that game that becomes a game. Sure. And it, um, it, it could well be that it just ends up being a replay of last year where Illinois is too young and too inexperienced and they can't do anything. Or it could be a replay of two years ago where a bunch of really stupid things happened and people named Chase uh, choked the game away for Illinois. Um, and then, of course, you know, that Missouri game I still think is winnable, uh, even though, as a former Western Kentucky player once said, they're supposed to be SEC. Yeah, so... Looking across the rest of the schedule, though, like I said, you know, Eastern and then Illinois are probably the only games where you've got a decisive advantage for Purdue. Um, yeah, Minnesota, I think, can go in that category. I don't know about decisive advantage. I think Minnesota will be in roughly the same tier. I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, so something between anywhere between four and seven wins is probably possible here. I think, you know, I, I like the direction that you're going here. I think they can probably get to six. Uh, in a repeat performance here, because as much as they lose from last year, it is also the second year of a coach's program, of a well-regarded coach's program, so you'd expect that more of what he's actually trying to do will be installed. And this is one of those cases that's kind of like Minnesota in that even if the record takes a little step back even, there's not going to be any drop-off in the fan excitement. The momentum's building. I think people will understand that uh, you've got to rebuild something from the ashes that was left in Daryl Hazel, and people are for sure overjoyed at the extent to which they overachieved last year, but it's possible that there's just too much to overcome on defense to make next year anything but a building year. Yeah, and again, given what this fan base has suffered through with the last couple coaching regimes... Yeah, they'll take it. Yeah, even a step backwards in the record column if there's still tangible evidence that they're going the right direction. Yeah, as long as you can believe fundamentally that the program is going to yield your results within your lifetime, and you're going to take it again. You're going to take return to uh you know to to like the middling joe tiller years that's that's thrilling that's you know you matter your source for big ten talk it's off tackle empire